Welcome to Optoly Radio, your regular 30-minute dose of everything you need to accelerate your e-commerce marketing success. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Optily Radio, Accelerate E-Commerce Marketing. I'm your host, Nina White, and I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guests. Kevin Miller is the co-founder and CEO of Grow, a digital marketing company that specializes in SEO. And Bridget Reed is the director of content also at Grow. Welcome to the show, Kevin and Bridget. Thanks, Nina. Thanks, Nina. We're excited to be here. Cool. So why don't you both uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves, how it is you got into content marketing, SEO, and how Grow came about? Well, Bridget and I are both Floridians, which is probably the most important thing that we'll tell you today. (laughs) Proud Floridians. (laughs) But yeah, so I'll speak for myself about how kind of Grow came about. And then Bridget has a really interesting background around how she got into content, which I'll, I'll have her speak to. But I um, I started my career in San Francisco. I wanted to work in, in technology companies, and I was fascinated by Silicon Valley and all the innovation that has historically been done there. And I worked at Google for two years, and I was managing ad campaigns for small and medium-sized businesses. And at Google, I was focused exclusively on the ad side of the business and had nothing and no, no involvement or knowledge around search engine optimization. That was kind of an unspoken thing at Google, which I found to be so ironic because that's what they're known for, right? Is their organic search results and, and providing the best information to consumers online. And I became really interested with the idea of you know what it takes to build a website and grow it to get a lot of organic traffic. And I learned a lot about storytelling through my research and how to how to make a, a story compelling and you know what really can captivate an audience and get them to continue to read. And fast forward maybe six years after that. Uh, I had worked at a, a number of different companies. I moved to Los Angeles. I started doing freelance. I started doing SEO as a freelancer. And I met my co-founder, John, and we both you know, had the same passions. And he was also freelancing as an SEO consultant. And we decided to join forces. At that time, he was already working with Bridget at another company. They had fostered a really great relationship. She was doing exceptional content for a financial services company that he was involved in. And so we knew that we could count on Bridget to be our first employee. And at the end of the day, Grow is a digital marketing agency, but we are really a, a, a content company. We're a storytelling company. And everything we do is predicated on our ability to storytell on behalf of brands uh, for both the brand story, but also for performance reasons. And so that's kind of what we're all about at Grow. We've been around for two years. We have 85 full-time employees. We have about 250 clients. And with that, I'll hand it over to Bridget to talk more about how she got into the content world. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, Yeah, so just to touch on what Kevin said is I met John, who introduced me to Kevin. We were doing content marketing as freelance, content writing as freelance work on the side. And as he scaled his clients with Kevin, um, started asking me, do you know anybody else who writes? And you know, one writer led to five writers, led to 10 writers. Now we have more than 200 writers in our network. And um, yeah, we, within that first year, we scaled from 20,000 words of content to 2.5 million words of content in month to month. Wow. That's some yeah. growth. <laughs> yes, definitely. 
Amazing. Yeah, it's great to see how much you've been able to scale up so quickly in, you know, two very, very strange years. But I think, you know, I'm sure the pandemic had something to add to that, you know, just because everybody was all of a sudden online and trying to, you know, rank. So going off of that, why don't you take us through your typical process at Grow for onboarding new customers? What are kind of some of the things you look out for, some of the red flags and, you know, typical kind of mistakes that people are making, um, especially on e-commerce websites? Well, our first job is to evaluate if SEO is the right channel, marketing channel for the people, the customers we're speaking with, our respective customers. That's what I think we offer in, in a way that maybe other agencies do not, is that everyone who's in our sales department under, has a full broad spectrum understanding of what it means to be a growth marketer. So they've had personal hands-on experience doing email marketing, Facebook ads, Google ads, you know, a number of channels that we don't even offer at Grow. But the reason why that's required is you really need to understand a full marketing landscape in order to make an informed decision on what you might recommend to a potential customer. So... We take all of that into consideration, and if if all of it makes sense, meaning the, the the company we're speaking with has tried other channels, and we understand their results, and now we agree mutually that search engine optimization and content writing is what is going to be most beneficial for them, given the goals they've expressed. Then we move forward. The other thing that I think is very important is making sure that the prospective customer has an understanding that getting organic traffic is a is a very difficult task that takes a considerable amount of time. And building a strong reputation online, getting hits in the press, getting high quality backlinks that makes your site authoritative in the eyes of Google is not something that is done overnight. And it needs to be done in a very authentic, real way. And that's the only way to win, you know, in, in the world of organic search. And so we try to qualify all of our customers and help them understand this is exactly how we work. This is how we expectation set. This is what you can expect. And if after all of those things are, you know, thoroughly discussed, it's just like an interview where it needs to be mutually beneficial. It's not just, you know, uh, a one way street. So we try to qualify, hey, here's what we're great at. Here's what we're not so great at. Does this fit with what you're looking for? If so, okay, great. Let's move on to how much this costs, what it looks like to be onboarded here and what your team support will look like. But that's how we try to put a lot of effort up front, making sure that it's the right thing long term for the customer. Because as a business owner, if we take on the wrong client and they end up leaving and they're unhappy with their experience, it's terrible for a number of reasons, both business-wise, but also personally, it weighs on a lot of us at Grow because we care so much about you know, the success of the client. But it's also a lot of these small businesses, these direct-to-consumer, direct-to-D2C um, yeah, e-commerce businesses, they don't have the ability to make a six-month you know, $60,000 mistake. They need to make sure that they are investing their time and their dollars wisely, or they might, you know, go out of business. So we're heavily cognizant of that, and we make sure that we've left no stone unturned when it comes to our discovery and making sure that it's a good fit for both sides. Great. Anything to add there, Bridget? No, I well, really, I think Kevin nailed it on the head. We really want to make sure we're creating these curated campaigns for our clients and that mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're intentional. We want to see them get results and we don't want to see all the hard work that we're putting into their campaign not work. So going to the talking on the qualifying steps of bringing on a new client, that's exactly what we do. We take it very seriously. 
Great, great. Yeah, it's definitely the long game. Like you got to set those expectations and make sure it is the right fit before going in and going in for the long haul on those articles for sure. Yeah, cool. So what are some of the most important things that Shopify owners uh, should know about SEO specifically on their product pages? And what are some of the common mistakes people, um, people typically make that store owners should be on the lookout for to avoid? It's a great question. One that's very topical. Just came up on a call yesterday with a, a client that we are uh, that's signing up with us called Atlas Pet. It's a it's a really high quality dog leash, and they sell a bunch of other products now, like bandanas and things of that nature. One of the mistakes the e-commerce owners make is they title their product as something that is exclusive to their brand and mm-hmm. not the actual name of the product that someone would search mm-hmm. on Google if they didn't know about this specific product. I'll give another example from Ritual, the women's vitamin company, who you may know, Nina. They called their prenatal vitamins essential prenatal, but no one's searching on Google for essential prenatal. What they're searching for are prenatal vitamins. So Mm -hmm. we had to change the the SEO title tag to be prenatal vitamins dash essential prenatal ritual. And when you make a, a small but meaningful change like that, it drastically changes where you rank on Google. So that took the Ritual vitamin page from position 50 to position seven in about a month. And it was something that was very small. Now, what also helps, which Bridget can talk to right now, is adding unique content to the PDPs and collection pages to help consumers Mm -hmm. understand more about the product, what it offers, what to expect, what dose to take it in, things of that nature. Yeah, definitely. The expanding on, you know, in ways with like FAQs or just expanding on with just generic informational content that goes on those pages. And Something I was going to add to is also we see a lot of cannibalism across sites with a lot of different brands. They tend to write copy that's too similar for Google's liking. So we come in and we try to, you know, condense it, have them both go for their intentional keywords. But definitely PDP PDP and collection page content is important. And Nina, just to add on to that, as Bridget's saying, unique content is king. Google loves unique content. The best example of this for anyone listening would be bitetoothpaste.com. I think they do an absolutely incredible job on their PDPs and their collection pages. And if I was to start an e-commerce store today, I would replicate what they've done because I think it gives the consumer every single piece of information they could need in order to make an informed purchase decision. Interesting. So on that note, I have a kind of sort of tangential question, which is what if people are searching for, or what if the product is something that people will not search for at all? Like they don't even know that that kind of product exists. So like, what is a strategy if you have like a hyper unique product? So like those vitamins that you mentioned that have a unique uh, name that people won't be searching for, it's easy enough to just name it a multivitamin. But what if a product itself is super unique? Is there a way that with just SEO, like a tactic that you you've implemented for someone for a hyper unique product? Yeah. So for a hyper unique product, I focused on something that I call pain point SEO. And so that hyper unique product I'm certain was created to solve some sort of need, some sort of problem. And so I'd want to identify what that problem is and write a blog post that explains how to remedy, how this product could be a potential remedy. Um, I'm sure it wouldn't solve you know, a, the problem hundred percent for every single person, but I'm sure it, it has contributing elements to it that can help remedy whatever that problem might be. And so answering questions around that problem and positioning the product as a potential solution to it is the way to do that with SEO. Outside of SEO, 
historically we've seen thousands and thousands of products like this that don't have a lot of inherent search volume or intent because it's brand new. We've seen those thrive Mm -hmm. on Facebook. So if you're trying to diversify away from Facebook because of lower return on ad spend these days, long form blog posting is going to be, you know, your next best bet. Great, great. Perfect. So what are some of your go-to tools for doing some of this keyword research, uh, SEO audits, and the content creation itself? For our keyword research, we use Ahrefs and we use SEMrush. Those are the two best keyword research tools by far. A third that I would encourage people to check out is called kwfinder.com. And I think they do a really good job of helping with, uh, identify extremely long tail keywords that other people might miss. So I would take those three into consideration with regards to keyword research. Other um, tools that could be used would be Google Keyword Planner um, and things of that nature. But those three are my top three. With crawling websites, we use Screaming Frog. That's by far the best for that. And then um, Bridget will talk about content grading. And there's a whole system that we have and software that we have around that too. Yeah, in terms of the actual content creation, you know, typical Google Docs, Google Drive, Grammarly to check for plagiarism, cleaning it up a bit. But when it comes to optimizations, we use uh, ClearScope. It's a grading tool that essentially tells us exactly what keywords will help make the article perform best. It tells us what keywords we're missing, how many times, you know, we might be able, we should be using it, Um, which is really cool because we share that information with our writers before they start writing. And then we just do the cleanup at the end to make sure, you know, it's actually been followed, implemented properly so that, you know, we're utilizing this tool for SEO best practices, but we're not losing the brand voice that the client, you know, definitely wants to see. Awesome. Great. Great. And I'll definitely put links to all of those uh, in the show notes then for our listeners. So I have to ask what your thoughts are on AI content generation, because it has been kind of the talk of the content, you know, world for the past couple of years. And people are saying it's getting better. But obviously, I want to get your expert take on what it has to offer and how it can supplement human writers. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, AI content definitely come a long way. And I think we're going to continue to go that way. We firmly believe, though, you know, Google can tell human emotion and they, we don't think that AI can really capture that properly. So if you want to elevate your content and take it to the next level, then AI generation can absolutely support that. But it should be fully replacing it. It can be great for optimizations, briefs, things like that. But at the end of the day, it, you know, the human touch to content creation is invaluable. Great. Yeah, I have yet to experiment with any of them. Like I've been kind of curious, but then I'm like, I feel like I'm just gonna have to go in and edit so much of that that (laughs) I don't know if it'll be worth it in the end. Yeah, we found the same thing. You know, it can be used. It should, you know, it's good for a support tool, but really it could not replace what our writers do or Mm -hmm. and editors. Yeah, I think it depends on what project you're working on and what your goals are. We sell such a premium product that we, we, it would be an absolute disservice to our clients to sell anything that's AI generated. You know, the, it, Google can really tell, you know, the difference between human emotion and what's written by a computer. And I don't think that's ever going to change. So we will always offer, you know, content that's written by a real human being that speaks with the brand, that understands their brand voice and their tone and how they want to communicate with their customer, which is ultimately the most important piece that AI could never replicate. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's more authentic, organic. (laughs) Yeah. 
So on that note, like what sort of tones of voices do you typically find most successful for D2C brands? Is it like super casual, like I'm your buddy or a little bit more authoritative? Or do you feel like it really does vary from product to product? It definitely varies product to product. We see, I mean, on average, informational, lighthearted, or I'm sorry, informational, light, authoritative, but not in a way that's not digestible. You know, you can be authoritative and you know, show that you are a uh, thought leader in that industry without, with being, you know, digestible and on a grade level reading where people actually understand it. Google at the end of the day, the day wants people to be able, they want to answer people's questions very directly. And that's not, it has to be in just a, uh, sorry, I'm over talking, but it's just, it has to be a digestible way. So yes, casual is great. Informational, authoritative. Great, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also like testing for your audience as well. You know, I imagine over time yeah. you kind of solidify what they respond to best. Definitely. Yeah. And that's why it varies product, uh, product, product too, it, or brand to brand, because if you have a pharmaceutical brain supplement, you definitely want to make sure it's more direct scientific medical type content and uh, voice, very authoritative. But if you're selling men's underwear or undergarments, you know, it's going to be a lot more lighthearted and fun and witty and, you know, throw in that fun. So. And then just like in terms of actual structure, I mean, I use Yoast a lot uh, in my content writing and it's, it's always kind of hammering over the head, you know, sentence length. And it's like, well, you know, I use some short sentences, some long sentences, like from my research, mixing it up is good. I feel like maybe Yoast isn't the best tool, but it is the one that we are currently using. So like, what do you feel like, do you think, with, especially with those more authoritative blogs, like, is it okay to use a longer sentence or do you think people just kind of zone out if you're not kind of breaking up the paragraphs into really short, you mentioned short and digestible, but like how short is too short and like, you know, too pre-digested? Yeah, in terms of article length? Just sentence length, even um, paragraph length as well. I mean, for SEO, they say longer, you know, 2,000 words or longer is better. But like, are people even reading 2,000 words is really the question as well. So yeah, yeah just length overall. So overall, 1,500 to 2,000 words is a really good, happy medium when it comes to an SEO article. However, that does need to be broken up into smaller paragraphs. Paragraphs should be two to four sentences tops. Anything that looks more than that can you know, be unattractive to the reader. So keeping it short, sweet, simple, concise is definitely the key to keeping people engaged and on the article too. Mm -hmm. That's totally fair. Lots of newcomers, and I'm sure you're dealing with a lot of them in the past two years, especially. So a big factor in SEOs, of course, age of the site and the articles itself. So what can new brands do to rank, um, you know, on the first page, of course, and rank, you know, not a year down the road, but within, you know, a month or two of getting an article up? What are your tactics yeah. for new brands? Well, very tactically, you know, I think press releases are great. So putting out a press release announcing that you've launched the company and then subsequent press releases announcing new product launches or other features, different things that would be interesting to consumers. The links that you get from those are called nofollow links, but they're still valuable from an SEO perspective because legitimate companies do press releases, trustworthy companies do press releases. And therefore, you know, you become at least a little bit trustworthy if you do it as a new D2C brand. In addition to that, not to like plug our services, but it is the truth. 
we use, a, we have a very unique backlink building process where we get our brands featured in the news. Getting featured in the news as an expert in stories is one of the best ways to build credibility for that individual who's being quoted, but also it links back to the homepage. So we give a quote to reporters and in exchange for that quote, they link to the homepage of the person who gave the quote. And so that the more backlinks you get, the more authoritative you'll become. But also publishing content on a consistent basis is also critical for trust. So, you know, if you have 10 blog posts a month, you know, having it every three days is great. If you have five every every five days, six days is great. Showing that you're going to continually contribute to the Google Google ecosystem is also a way to demonstrate trust to Google and they will reciprocate that back to you. But the biggest thing that's going to move the needle, Nina, on not ranking a year from now is getting written up in the press. You can also hire a PR firm if you have the funds. Whatever it takes to get written up in the news and get a backlink to your homepage, that's what's going to accelerate the process. Do you have any kind of more budget-friendly options? Because press releases tend to be in the tens of thousands sometimes. Um, are there any kind of newer um, services that you found successful for you know businesses on a budget? Well, actually, the press releases is one of the cheapest things that we recommend to people to do. It costs about 600 bucks to do a really well okay. done uh, press release. I know that if you have a lot of images, if you have multimedia, if you have a, a long press release, you're totally right, Nina. I can get into the two, three, four thousand dollar range. But if your press release is 600 words or less, no images, it can be about five or six hundred dollars through PR Newswire. And so that's the cheapest, cost, most cost effective way because you're getting your brand launch out and you're also getting these backlinks. So it's great. It's great from an economical standpoint. Hiring a PR firm is likely going to be out of the question. Most good PR firms are $10,000 a month with as a, just a retainer to get started. I wouldn't recommend mm -hmm. that to a lot of people. One uh, service that they can people can use if they're listening is called helperreporter.com. That's one of the marketplaces that we use to find out what journalists are writing on. And we position our brands to give expert quotes. And it's free to use. Um, you just need to make sure that you reply. There's a whole process that goes into it. It's entire, it's incredibly complex, but uh, these journalists need responses in about five minutes, but we've created a mm. do it for you ghostwriting service where we write on behalf of founders, CEOs, executives, and um, there we only pay for, we only charge for where we get our brands placed. So it's again, the most economical cost-effective way to get, get uh, press, uh, you know, hits. Great. Anything to add there, Bridget? Kevin nailed it. <laughs> cool. So let's get on to some success stories uh, from the past couple of years. Yeah, we have um, one client birth date. We built them a uh, content strategy through extensive, you know, keyword research and making sure their site is set up for success. And they actually increased their organic impressions by more than 450,000%. Wow. And then the <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. And then the number of clicks on their site went from zero to 36,000 per month in just one year, which is incredible. Amazing. That is amazing. And that's just through blog posts or the whole, like a whole, like how, how deep of an audit and rework of their site did you guys do? Well, they did our full SEO campaign. So that's on page optimization, performance, and then a content as well. Wow. That's great. That's really yeah. great. Yep. And then I have one a case study as well, Nina, which would be for a company called Gainful.com. They're a personalized protein company based in San Francisco. And we wrote 100 articles based off of all the questions that consumers have about protein, such as like, 
what is the best protein to take for women who are 30 years and up? What is the best, uh, you know, how much protein should I take per dose per workout? Should I take protein before workout or after or both? We answered all of those questions and the website went from about 500 daily clicks to about 5,000 daily clicks, all from organic search. And it took about 12 months. So I want to like set expectations set properly for mm -hmm. all those listening. It took at least 12 months to do that. But we published every three or four days for that time period. And that's that was the result. And so it's had a very profound impact on the blended cost per acquisition that Gainful is observing now as a result of these efforts. Amazing. That really just kind of goes to show the power of SEO in the long term. And it's, yeah, definitely an investment. But wow, that really pays off tenfold increase in organic traffic. Yeah. Amazing. Great. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. So I would like to wrap up with our final question. That is the one that we end all of our episodes with. So um, for our listeners, come away from this episode with one thing that they can start to implement today to accelerate their businesses. What would that one thing be? And you can each give me one. I would say that writing long form content is worth it, but it is only worth it if the business owner is committed to doing it for a long period of time. So think about committing to SEO for 12 months and putting all the resources and effort in to do that. If there isn't the full 12 month commitment, it's not worth doing. And the reason is their money will be wasted if the project is abandoned at three, four, five months. And I don't want to see DSC business owners go through that. I'd, I'd rather have them invest in other channels where there's a faster payback period. And then once they become more profitable, invest in SEO. I would say if you have a shop online and you have a blog already, definitely take a look and review that content to see what is too similar and what may be, you know, competing against each other and then see how you can optimize those pieces. Awesome. Two very great tips. And that was a fantastic episode. Thank you both, Bridget, Kevin, for being on the show. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks for Thanks having for us. Having yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Optily Radio, Accelerate E-Commerce Marketing. We're of course brought to you by Optily, the new Shopify app that's revolutionizing how store owners manage their ad spend across Facebook, Instagram, Google, and YouTube. If you're one of the millions who is struggling to know where to spend your marketing dollars for the most impact, try out Optily free for two weeks. Watch your returns increase, hours open up in your schedule, and achieve your business goals fast. Learn more at Optily.com. We'll catch you back here next time on Optily Radio for more expert tips on growing your online store through marketing. Take care. <laughs>